All right, going live in three, <laughs> two, one. Welcome everybody to episode three of Mix It Up with ML, a podcast where we try to touch on everything and give it a little something for everybody. So today I'm super excited to have my friend Andrew Hama here today. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Good to be here. So Andrew is a junior at Princeton University, so class of 22, I believe. And uh, Andrew, like, because we're not famous yet, maybe we'll be famous someday, who knows, but uh, people might not know like how we met. So please feel free to just kind of share that backstory so people have some context for the combo. Yeah, yeah. My freshman year, I joined the club basketball team on campus. That's how I know Tito. Um, yeah, yeah, super, super great guy. Um, club basketball is a very important part of like my personal experience. And so I've gotten to see him the past couple of years. Um, so that's, that's how we met. Love it. Love it. And so, bro, are you like an officer in club basketball right now? I'm, is it Chuck and you or just you? Yeah. So it's very interesting. We don't have like a defined officer group, but it's like right. basically Chuck, me and Benny. Got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So you guys are keeping it alive. I love to hear it in the, in the COVID era, keeping it yeah, alive. So hopefully to. that gets back to it soon. But all right, dude, let's just jump right into it. I have a bunch of questions because uh, my bro, Andrew, is a very interesting guy. So I'm really excited to just hear more about your experiences. So let's get into it. All right. So, brother, your family is from Ghana. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so do you have... <clears throat> you know, the majority of your family in the United States or a majority in Ghana, or is it a little mix or people everywhere? Like, what's that sort of backstory? Like, cause then I know you moved to Georgia for high school. You were in yeah. Georgia for high school. So I just yeah. want to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. So basically um, I was born in Ghana, actually. I moved okay. to the United States pretty early on um, as a toddler. And then I went back for a bit and then I came back again Okay. I when I was that. around like six or seven. Um, okay. So I've definitely been back and forth quite a bit. Mm -hmm. My entire family is in Ghana for the most part. I mean, I have like my nuclear families here, obviously, but um, like when it comes to like extended aunts or like grandparents are all in Ghana mm -hmm. and I have a few cousins and like, you know, aunts and uncles in the States as well. Mm -hmm. So that, that whole experience is interesting. I mean, just, um, just going back and forth and seeing the differences right. was like crazy. Right. And then also the fact that like, when I came originally, I was a toddler, so I was fine. Mm -hmm. And I went to Ghana for a bit. I went to Ghana for kindergarten, first grade. Okay. Came back, did first grade again, because I was, like, young. So I did, In the United I kind States, of, came back to the United yes, States? exactly. Okay. So I was, like, early for first grade in Ghana, but young for the U.S., so I did right. first grade again. And I'm still young for my grade. <laughs> so okay. It's really weird. Didn't know um, that either. How old are you? Yeah. I'm 21, but, like, okay. March apparently is, like, kind of youngish, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, but the funny thing is, so I came back, and, like, I was really into reading. So I came back because my, my Ghanaian accent was so thick. They right. thought like I, like I was like terrible at English. Okay. So I actually got put in like the ESL class. And this is a second language class. Damn. Even though like the official language of, of Ghana is English because we're a British colony. <laughs> so okay. that was like an interesting experience. So you said you came back. Forgive me. I'm just trying to keep it straight in my mind. Yeah. So when you came back to Ghana, you were put in the ESL class? or When came I came to back America? to U.S. Yeah, okay. to Georgia. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you were born in Ghana, came yeah. to United States, then went like, back. Yeah. And then came and, back again. And then came back again. And so <clears throat> do you mind like if you're comfortable sharing a little bit why that was? Was there a particular yeah. reason why you bounced back and forth? Or just interested in that? Yeah, for sure. My um so my dad had just finished business school, uh, like late 90s. So he was working. 
my mom was finishing up her residency actually your mom's a doctor no yeah what kind is. of doctor she's a i think the name is intern internist internal yeah internal vet. same as my mom dude yeah there you go yeah that's, that's dope that's very okay. dope great <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah so she was finishing that up it was a grind obviously right and my dad was like grinding so they sent me to live in Ghana with my grandmother for a year with my sister mm. who's younger than me by three years okay i was there for about a year year and some change right and my mom wrapped up her residency and everything else and then came back here understood understood okay so got it so your parents did they meet in ghana or did they meet in america so they meet they met in ghana um, okay i think like early 90s i want to say i'm pretty pretty brilliant on like the, the love story situation right, right, um, right but they met in ghana and then my dad came to the u.s with my mom in like 98 i want to say okay with like a briefcase of 400 bucks that was crazy <laughs> that crazy was bro wow shout out to them for just crushing it too dude in business school and in residency and becoming a doctor that's amazing that's really yeah. cool okay so cool. yeah and then we connected i remember you you texted me about like the linkedin post i had just posted yeah. the other day right <laughs> about so just for the listeners in case they don't know i'm working for an early literacy nonprofit in new york city uh where basically we distribute books through pediatric checkups um to to like infants and children like birth to five and you had texted me saying that you had done an early literacy like event in ghana could you tell me just a little bit more about that i'd love to hear yeah it was pretty crazy so to give you more info i guess more backstory Mm -hmm. i went to ghana growing up probably every other year i would be like half the summer so I was always in and out. I, I had a good feel for the culture, which I really appreciate mm-hmm. from my parents. Um, and the year before my sophomore year, I went and my parents were kind of like big on me to like, you know, like, how are you going to like help your community, right? Like, how can you make an impact? How can you like mm. make things better? This is sophomore year of high school. Okay. Um, so we're, think- we're thinking about that. We went to go visit um, my extended family. So the way it works is that Ghana in general is like pretty developed. Okay. So, it's in West Africa, right? Like kind of right Nigeria. Okay. Exactly, exactly. So Ghana is actually one of the most, if not the most politically, economically stable country in sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, it's like debatable, but like, yeah, we have a long relationship with the United States. Presidents come, like it's a very solid area. Got it. But I have family in like the extended areas and like what, what you call the villages mm-hmm. where it's like very, very rural. Like my dad grew up on a farm, for example. Wow. He actually said one time his 10th birthday, I, I got like a, a book or something, right? And I was like crying because my friends were getting like bicycles and stuff. My dad's like, <laughs> I got an egg for my 10th birthday. <laughs> I was like, it's oh, an egg. Man. Right. Okay. Um, but anyway, so we went to go visit the family there. Okay. I mean, I weird turn of events. I ended up eating something crazy, some crazy meat. My stomach was killing me. I was having some ridiculous, like oh, gastrointestinal situations, right? <laughs> uh, crazy. Rough and situations. Then, um, bad, <laughs> seeds. bad seeds. Bad seeds. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I couldn't find a hospital forever. And I ended up going to like a finding children's hospital and like there were no books in there, which is really weird because in the US there are always books in the waiting rooms. Mm. My dad started speaking to me about it. He also spoke to me about like literacy in general in Ghana, especially rural Ghana. So I was like, that's weird. So I came back to the States. I was like, how can I make a difference? I ended up doing this whole book drive thing where I basically raised a bunch of books to collect a bunch of books, a few thousand. Shipped them over to Ghana, and then I used like my family, like extended family, to like basically help the one of the local hospitals set up like a little library within like the waiting room. Dude, wow, that that's 
basically reach out and read, you know, but just in Ghana, which is super dope. And, you know, I, like kind of crazy that you did the same thing that I'm doing. Uh, yeah, and it's just, super crazy. wow, bro. Good for you. Also, just, you know, thinking of that and, you know, I could go on, you know, for days about it because I'm super passionate about it and working in it, but, you know, you could just think of it as literacies kind of the way they talk about it in our for like line of work is just as, you know, a foundational skill to unlock everything else in life. Right. And it's exactly. one of those preventative, you know, interventions that you can do early on to help somebody later in their life. So good for you for doing that, man. And exactly. Yeah. That's one great. crazy thing as yeah, well is that like the doctor to patient rate ratio in the United States is one to 400 and Ghana okay. it's one to 10,000. So that means you're spending more time in the waiting room because there's less doctors available. Right. So it becomes even more crucial that you have access to like literacy so you can like do something while you're there. And sort of, right. So. Right. Wow, bro. So thanks for shedding some light on that, on your family situation. And so that's really interesting. And do, does your, do your parents kind of have a lot? It sounds like you have a very strong contact with your family still back there. Cause you were going back mm -hmm. every summer and yeah. I imagine your parents are going back kind of at a similar, you know, clip there. And so is, what's that been like? Just like maybe the differences in Ghanaian culture yeah. and, and American culture. And uh, could you just talk a little bit about that? What that experience it's has been like? So many different angles. Like it's, it's really impacted my life a ton. Mm. I think there are a few things. I think the first thing is just like, when I go back, when I go back, it's like, I'm the American guy who's back. So it's like, my family is always like, like my laughing, like my accent, like just joking around, like, this is right, like you know, right. But like my accent, like, oh, like the American guy. So like, oh, he's like dripping out in like t-shirts and stuff. Because <laughs> like, right, right. like, cause like, I'm wearing like, I don't know, say I'm wearing like, like a Kobe shirt or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like, typically the way it works is that like, especially for sports fashion, like, or like sports in general, whatever is like big now, we'll probably get the like in a couple of years. Okay. So you'll see like people right now rocking like, KD OKC jerseys. Okay. <laughs> <It's like Yeah. laughs> right. <laughs> so um that kind of thing is what ends up happening. So it's just fun. Like people always like it's always a point of like conversation. Kind of like if you're in the US and you see a British person, it's like, oh, this is different. Right, right. Um, so that was cool. And it's also cool to like be able to be ingrained in the culture because I could speak the language, uh, some yeah. of the languages there. So that was also fun. Um but yeah, it was that was that's, that's the first part, just going back. Mm -hmm. The second part of the experience was coming to the states and the weird thing about the going back and forth is that because of like my family is like very distinctly african like right like it's just like very culturally african like i go there all the time like for sure mm -hmm. it was very interesting for me like when i moved to georgia because i, I was gonna ask you about atlanta. that next dude keep going exactly keep going. so i live in suburban atlanta mm -hmm. and where i live so georgia is a very dynamic place right so Basically, you have Atlanta. You have a perimeter around Atlanta that everyone calls like the perimeter. So if you look, if you're within the perimeter, you're basically like part of Atlanta. Okay. You have Metro Atlanta a little bit around that. And you have this basically line like right here, where mm -hmm. if you cross this line, you're in the zone where black people don't go. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I live like on that line. <laughs> wow. Fascinating, yeah. dude. Okay. Crazy. So my school was, for example, in what's called Forsyth County, which is like historically a place where black people weren't there until 1993 Damn. Um, okay so in 1912 they kicked out all black people we came back 1993 so wow the whole situation lambert high school right for the listeners lambert high lambert school, high exactly school. okay but then like like south of that is like atlanta where it's like you know like a lot of black people like it's, it's lit mm -hmm. so it's interesting for me because like as someone who like like is thoroughly an immigrant 
it's hard for me to identify with like what culture I belong to because I'm not like a Caucasian American, but I also don't feel like I have the same like culture as like a Black American. So it took me a right. while to like really find like my my space. Right. And yeah. what was your space? I didn't, I really didn't find it until like, I mean, I didn't really, I don't think I even had a space. Like my friend groups mm. were very mixed. I didn't have like, I didn't like, for example, because like I'd oftentimes be the only black person in my classes or with my friend groups, like right. I'd be like the kind of spokesperson for like black America. But like, I felt like I wasn't even qualified to speak on that, right? So so interesting. So I just kind of mixed around. Um, and I think it's beneficial for me because I never really understood like how deep stuff went until I got to college. So I, I was kind of naive to stuff. Mm. But it also gave me a dope perspective in that I could see like um, beyond like the US bubble in a way, which is pretty Right, fun. right. Bro, I mean, so much to touch on there, trying to collect my thoughts here. So, right. I was going to ask you about Georgia and what that was like. And yeah. so as far as <clears throat> mentioned, sort of not feeling like you were able to speak for the Black American perspective, um, was, was did you feel any shifts in that or like more understanding when you went to Princeton? And uh, if so, like, what did you learn or just what what has that journey kind of been like for you, especially now with like everything going on? What has yeah. that been like for you? And, and I know I guess, you're a part of like the Black Men's Association at Princeton. Yeah, with Jared, yeah, right now, which is fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about it. <clears throat> for sure. I guess I'll double. I'll retouch on Georgia because the transition is like. Exactly. I guess it makes sense a bit. Yes, sir. Um. So it's funny. Again, my county is like, like back in the day, you don't go to my county. Like you just mm. don't. Um. So I grew up in a place where like people were just like very, like very, very strong in their beliefs. Um, whether those beliefs were like something you don't agree with or like potentially harmful, this is what they were. One of the things that it taught me, right? My county was like what two percent black. My yeah. high school was like 0.8 percent black. I saw that um, online. I was looking it up. Yeah, exactly. And like it was 3,500 kids, so it's like a big, big school. Um, one of the things it taught me is that like there's really no problem that like conversation can't solve, in my opinion. Mm. I think maybe I'm naive, but I think everybody has some kind of like. Most people don't have like an evil agenda going right. for them they just have like ignorance they have naivety they have things they just don't know about so i think it's more of the fact that there's like a lack of communication or a lack of understanding than it is like hostile like deep-rooted hostile like intentions that like just like manifest throughout the entire life i think it's just like it's learned behavior kind of thing wow um so that's something that because i was in such like a what looking back on it probably a pretty dangerous environment in terms of like the like, things that were being said and like what was being you know believed I had like a really, really like nuanced understanding of like racial relationships, I would say. Um, so when I came to Princeton, I never really had like in, in Georgia, I never really had like a like a big black friend group because like besides like my sports teams, like <laughs> yeah. there was no one else. The sports I counted, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. There was no one else. Um, so when I got to Princeton, that kind of changed because it's like a very different, it's a very different place in my city. <laughs> yeah. It's like completely different. Right. So like, I was just like, frankly, there's a lot more black people, <laughs> right? So like to go from 0.8% to 13% is like, it's like, it, like people who are coming from the opposite situation. But for me, I was like, this is pretty cool. Right. Um, so I just met a lot more people kind of like got more ingrained in my culture and like learn more about like what it means to be a black American through different clubs through just like reflecting through classes. Right. Um, and as I did that, I realized that like a lot of things I was okay with in high school, I probably shouldn't have like let slide. Interesting. But, and I also realized that like, even though I do feel like an outsider in some respects as an immigrant, 
like I do have my own like niche in the black community and like I can also understand them a lot more. So I just like having a lot of more, a lot more friends being involved in PBMA, right. having programming specifically to help like black men on campus feel more involved, more inclusive. Um, I think that helped a lot, to be honest. Bro, I love it. I love it. Super interesting perspective there, especially I, I want to touch on what you said about feeling like it's learned behavior a lot of times as opposed to, you know, innate hostility. Would you say that you're the, you know, majority in thinking that or the minority within the black community in America, like whether it's black African or black American, what would you say about that? Yeah, it's, I actually don't know. I think I'm in the, I think I'm probably in the majority to be honest. Okay. okay. The, the difference is that people like know theoretically, but in practice, they just, it's hard to bridge that until you're there. Mm-hmm. When you see people who like, will say stuff online that's like, like, like legitimately very problematic, but you meet right. them in person and they're like, you can tell they have like a soft kind heart, like deep in there somewhere. Right. Right. Um, so I think people think that they just don't like, they don't truly believe it until they see it manifested out. Right. Um, so I would say that. And then one other thing as well, like within the African community, the African community, when it regards to like racism is like very, very interesting because like there are a lot of Africans who like feed into this like idea that like black people are like uh, black Americans are like inferior for whatever like reason because they've been told that as immigrants so okay. yeah as an immigrant you get told like oh you're the good black like you're like whatever like don't be like one of those black people wow even within the black community Africans sometimes don't understand what it means to be like ra- like they, they get racially profiled mm-hmm. they don't understand the history behind it like what it means like struggles of black Americans so right. there's also that dynamic where like conservative like African parents are just like oh just like go through it like tough it out Mm. it's like very interesting so did you do you feel like African immigrants like parents are typically more conservative as opposed to liberal and was that your case and also I just wanted to know you know what brought your parents to Georgia for example like Forsyth County and you know was that work and or did they choose to go there um and you know what was their sort of perspective in all of that did they talk to you about you know the experience there yeah all that yeah um i'll touch on the for the first thing first around like conservative yeah african parents are definitely more conservative i think africa in general is like a pretty conservative place Mm. um i'm from like a very christian family so like that i guess that plays into a little bit although i think you can be like i don't think it really matters honestly when it comes to like political beliefs right um so yeah my, my parents are like fairly conservative um i think it's also just kind of like conservative almost out of like fear like you don't want to like like speak up too much or like you know offend anyone and when you're in an environment that's like very conservative they kind of just like assimilate to whatever that is right um like literally to the point where like my aunt who lives in ghana right now um she she was straight up just sending me like um all these different like uh what is like like uh what's that news network like american news network or whatever oh one american news yeah, the one that Trump always tweets about. Yeah, I think it's probably one American. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> she was sending me these things. She was like, "Why are black people wild on so much?" And I was like, "Oh God!" <laughs> but like, they just don't like they just don't know, right? It's just like right, right. Like, they just like they just wow. hear what they hear and they just believe it. So like, it's like legit. Like it's just very weird. Um, so I think that that's kind of like the general demographic. Right. And then within my family, how we went to Georgia. I think my dad got a scholarship to come to Ghana to go to business school in Clark, which is a, like a HBCU in Atlanta. Okay. So he was here. My mom was like, okay, like if you're going to be there, I'm also going to like pull up to Georgia as well. So she got a residency at another HBCU in Georgia. 
Amazing. Because they'd already both gotten like their advanced degrees in Ghana, but they had to get it again in the US for like certification purposes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so your mom was like already a doctor in Ghana and then she went to residency in the United States. Jeez. Yeah. Bro. And she wasn't even that old because in Ghana, you don't like, it's not like you go to like general undergrad, then you like specialize. Like right. she specialized since she was like 20. Right. Like, she was going to medical school since she was like 20. Right. So, wow. Yeah. So it's she, a lot she of work, was. Man. It's a lot. And she was working in Grady, this hospital called Grady um, in Atlanta, which is like mm. the trauma hospital. Like it's like Atlanta's like can be a dangerous place. So if you get shot, you go to Grady and that's where she was working. Wow. <laughs> so she was like grinding at, during her residency, like pulling crazy hours. And did she know English? Cause you said Ghana is an English speaking country. Did, did yeah. her and your dad know English before coming for their business and medical, you know, training or did they yeah, learn so it just because- sort of on the fly? No, that that would have been crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been crazy. Because I think so typically the way it works is African countries typically adopt like the culture and the language and the education system of the parent of the uh, colonizer country, to put a frame, okay. right? Yeah. So Ghana, Nigeria, all English speaking countries, like you learn English from the ground up, you learn the UK system of English. So, like they they spell things differently, they mm. use rubbish, stuff like that. Right, right. right. Um, so they, they knew English through and through. If you were from like the Congo or something else, that's like a French colony, then it, then you have to learn English right got it got it wow bro that's that's incredibly interesting um and i wanted to also touch on another thing that you were mentioning before just about you know you think that conversation will you know by and large in most cases be able to you know heal situations and you know when that you had seen somebody say something online and then you went to talk to them has that ever happened to you in like real life uh, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure, but I just wanted to, you know, not assume. And, you know, could you walk us through that? And because uh, I don't know, I'm just interested in this, bro, because and this is related to everything that we've been talking about is my friend, Tammy, who's like my best friend. And I think, you know, Tammy, I'm pretty sure yeah. may have from, from Jared connected yeah. you guys and everything, which is amazing. I love it. Yeah. But Tammy was telling me about this term like Afro pessimism, where like basically you're just pessimistic about the state of things and and feeling like not much is going to be able to solve these racial tensions, which bro are just, you know, tearing our country apart in a lot of ways. And I can really sympathize with, with that and understand why people would feel that way. And Tammy was talking about how, you know, economic empowerment is one of like the few ways that we're going to be able to get out of this situation. So I'm also going to ask you about very shortly. Um, but yeah, could you just kind of do you feel like you subscribe a little bit to the Afro pessimism and, or do you feel like more optimistic about it? Um, and just, I, I would love to get your thoughts on all that, dude. Yeah. I think a lot of this again comes from like immigrant background. So I have like a really optimistic view on things. Mm. It's honestly naive to, to put it mm. frankly. I just, I just don't have like the learned experience of a lot of like people in this country. Um, but I'm pretty optimistic. I mean, to go back to like the parent thing, like, my parents because they just didn't know like what like what even like racial tensions were back in the day and how deep it went mm-hmm. like they didn't know for county was like that crazy until they moved there and, mm-hmm. and like their friends were, like yeah like what <laughs> like what are you doing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like we're not coming to visit you guys right. so spot. um so i think that kind of fed into me and i also think that because like i grew up in like not the worst you can have it but like pretty bad for a black american mm. for me it's like only upper here so like that's why i'm pretty optimistic right um just because like like i'm talking like open just like n-word hard r usage like in school like just like like with like classmates and stuff like so like 
you just get decent like unfortunately you just like like only up from there right mm-hmm. um afro pessimism i see that a ton a ton right. a ton a ton understandable ton, right ton. understandable yeah. yeah i personally i i'm just like a very optimistic person again probably naively so so i don't subscribe to it necessarily mm-hmm. i definitely sympathize with it right mm-hmm. um i think yeah i think conversation is huge i think it's hard also to have conversation when the person's bringing like hostile energy to the table and i think right. that's one thing a lot of like black americans are afraid of is that like i have this conversation with this person like who sometimes sees me as like less human than them right like, i don't know how i'm gonna do this right so i think you know conversation and education are like two really big things and obviously economic empowerment is like the booster that can really help right but for black americans right like this long history of them was like trying something get crushed get try crushed. another thing get t- like you're right like tulsa right the whole tulsa thing like exactly so many things happen throughout history that make it tough but i think like i'm an optimist just because being a pessimist is like not fun <laughs> i think uh, that's the only reason why honestly right so. right well, bro, that's, you know, I appreciate your perspective and I love just kind of asking uh, my friends where they where they stand on this on this issue. And I don't know, I've been thinking about it a lot because just even going back, like I've always actually like surrounded myself with people who kind of don't look the same as me as much as I could I actually come from, you know, majority white town for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just been trying, I've been trying to, you know, get different perspectives and see what people, um, you know, just think about all this going forward. And I don't know, it's been some sense of me, I'm thinking like, is it mainly something that I have to go talk to other white people about? Like, should it be on black people's, you know, shoulders to explain themselves? Like, I don't think that they need to explain themselves, but um, I don't know, just interesting things that have obviously been brought to the table with, you know, everything that was going on around the country this summer, bro. But thanks for, you know, giving me your thoughts on that. It's very interesting. And sort of on that economic empowerment, you know, idea, I want to ask you all about, you know, your major and, you know, your work experiences and, and like specifically Tiger Capital Management. It looks really cool. And I know my boy, Mike Peters is involved, who was involved with that uh, with yeah. you. Right. So just wanted to ask you one, could you tell me a little bit more about that, you know, specific uh, experience that you have, but then also what got you interested in finance in the first place? um and yeah i'll stop there because i have a bunch more follow-up questions but yeah. just tell me more about that dude i can talk about i can talk about things i can talk about for days economics finance yeah. race i can talk about so let's do basketball it. yeah so um yeah for context i'm an econ major princeton minors in cs and finance although i might mm-hmm. drop the cs minor we'll see right. um but that's the situation <laughs> and yeah so there's this group on campus called tire capital manager we're unaffiliated with princeton for the record we're just bunch of students who like like to invest i didn't know um, that it was unaffiliated actually bro yes there there are some complications there regarding like tax liability that like universities want to get involved in so we just mm-hmm. kind of like do our own thing mm-hmm. um so yeah the way tcm works tcm tire capital management um we are an investment fund run by students managed by students Sick. um and we're a nonprofit. so we actually we don't take home any like dollars we keep it all in the funds like an endowment and then we like use the returns, some of the returns to like fund education for our members, like things like that, like events around campus, that whole thing. That's sick. Um, yeah. So we manage. So basically the way it works is um, I got in my freshman year. We recruit people their freshman year, sometimes sophomores. And I was blessed and lucky enough to kind of like go all the way through. And now I'm CEO. So I kind of like run 
30 people with a you know with some uh a good chunk of change to manage right um which, which is pretty crazy to think wow. about um so the way we work is we have anywhere between 25 or 30 people we have five industry groups so we cover healthcare industrials and energy consumer mm-hmm. um tmt so like hard like so like semiconductors like that whole thing and then software mm-hmm. and internet so like okay more uh capital light uh or i guess asset light businesses right um and what we do is we we invest so we pitch a stock every week that we've researched for several weeks beforehand okay we vote as a club whether or not we want to invest in that in that stock and then if we pass if the stock passes then we put into our portfolio we buy it and we like hold it for typically a couple of years we reevaluate it it's a very rigorous process like i i've learned so much from it um more than any other class more than any class by far I, I don't let the princeton even, admin hear that don't let them hear I that mean, but i love princeton it. is I love an it. amazing place for <laughs> thinking but like when it comes to applying these things right if you don't go to like a, like a business school you have to learn it by yourself and that's what okay. we do so, okay yeah. so yeah tell me a little bit more about like what you've learned and you yeah. know I'm definitely a basic, you know, beginner here with investing and finance. You know, I've been in this medical grind head down, you know what it is, but I'm super interested in personal finance and investing. So just, yeah, break it down for, you know, the basic, the basic guy here, but I'd love to hear about what you learned over this time. I, this is, I love this stuff. Like I'm I'm generally passionate about it, which has like been amazing to to find out. Um, So I would, I would break it down like this. So you have, so investing in general, right? There's, there's, when I think about investing, there's mm-hmm. different types of investing. There's short-term investing, there's long-term investing, and then there's like passive investing. There's a whole, whole bunch of different things. Okay. Right? To break it down versus passive and active. Passive investing is you just buy an index fund or an ETF that is managed by somebody else. Correct. Like the S&P 500 and let them like handle it for you and you just like rock, right? Right. For 90% of people, that's like the best way to make your money. And I think like, for me too, as a doctor, that's, that's key that I got to tap into that, right? hundred percent, hundred percent. I think Americans are in general underinvested. So I think like getting yourself to like buy into like those indexes and like keep it rocking there. Amazing idea. I think the other side of it's active, active, active investing. So active management, active investing is actively looking out for companies, stocks, doing your own research, um, and then investing in those specific right. names. So instead of an index, a basket of names, investing in one or two specific companies. Right. Um, that is really difficult because you could be wrong like, yeah. easily. <laughs> yeah. And it's like almost impossible to beat the index, the S&P 500. Um, so even for the average person, they can definitely like have like one or two active names in their portfolio. But I think they should by and large be passive investors. Okay. The reason we're active is one, because it's more fun. <laughs> Two, because you learn more. Right. So like the most for, honestly, we, we would likely perform decently if we just like bought the S&P and just like chilled mm-hmm. but we're not gonna learn anything that way interesting yeah so by rigorously like pitching companies like researching them understanding what make the businesses work what right. make industries work how competitive dynamics play out how pricing works in different businesses right, right. why Chipotle is able to like bust out 100 customers in their line while mm-hmm. like McDonald's is still kind of like turning through people like that whole kind of thing all those different dynamics at play how the world works financially like all different things right come into play and I think you learn so much about how businesses work. It's right. absurd. Just by researching and like pitching and like rigorously going through them, building Excel models, understanding how like finance works. Mm-hmm. We have all education program that we run for like our new members. It's like three to six months. We wow. just like teach them everything, like like PowerPoints. Like we just go through. Okay. Um, and I think I've just learned so much through that. 
So, and it's crazy because like we've been blessed to, to perform really well. I think we're beating the SMP uh, since inception, which is like- And when was ridiculous. inception, Hama? 2016. Oh, so it's only a four year old. Yeah, it's not that okay. old. Not that old yeah. Unreal, okay, keep going. 20, I think, well, it depends on the year, but 2014 informally, but 2016 was like the, yeah. Wow, and you guys are beating it. Yeah, we've we've done really well. I mean, again, we don't know what's gonna happen in the future. So, but luckily, mm -hmm. we've we've been keeping killing it. And when you say pitching, you mean internally? Like, is so? Do you guys pitch to one another at your meetings of like what you should invest in, or yeah. or do you pitch elsewhere? Like, it would just be to you guys because you guys are the managers of the fund, right? Yes, and and yeah, so we have a pool of capital that we raise through corporate sponsors or through like um, donors, outside donors, because. Okay. And so that's the amount of money we manage. And then we've grown that money multiple times over just by like wow. being diligent investors and getting frankly lucky or blessed or <laughs> in some Whatever, respect. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we meet as a group, all 25 of us typically in like a crowded room somewhere on campus, but right. obviously not because COVID is virtual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, someone put, so a, a team, which is typically like five or six people, pitches the idea that they've been working on. Mm -hmm. And then we all hear, we all like, debate we all like ask questions try to poke holes in it and then at the end we vote if it passes a certain threshold of like yeses then we invest in it and we kind of like size accordingly based on how bullish people are in the company okay got it and so i guess going back before i ask more about that going back uh what got you interested in finance in general has this always been something that you were just like super into even in high school or even before or yeah my, so my dad was a consultant and he worked a little bit in, in accounting. So he's in much training. Um, so I knew a little bit about finance through him, mm -hmm. but like, it was never like a thing that I always like thought about in terms of like, oh, I'm gonna like go into finance or go into investing. I didn't know what investment banking was. Mm -hmm. I know what consulting was because my dad was a consultant. Like, I didn't know that much about anything. Yeah. Um, what I did notice though, is like going from the US to Ghana and then back and forth, there's just like massive differences in economic structure that like you, anyone can see massive differences in capital formation, right? Like how, like simple things like skyscrapers, right? How many of them there are, how developed real estate is, how developed the businesses are, right? Why, why many Ghanaians don't take out bank loans and buy their, their houses um, with cash, right? Things okay. like that, that you noticed pretty, pretty early on end up tying themselves to economics or to other fields. And for me, it was economics. Mm -hmm. So, in high school, I thought I was going to be like an academic, like go into like econ research. Right. I worked in, in government economic research after senior year of high school for a summer. Okay. It was like really slow. Didn't right. like it that much, but I learned a lot. And I learned that I really like finance. And I like, I like the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. um, did an investing competition my senior summer as well that like went really well. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm like kind of decent at this. Right. And then I got into TCM and okay. that from there was just, was done. Like. Yeah. Got it. Got it. And so, bro, what is capital formation? That term you you used earlier. What does that mean? Yeah, basically, capital, money. To put, right. to put it frankly, so like right. the, the formation of money, um, and what that looks like is in the United States, you have an immense amount of capital formation. Right, you have trillions and trillions of dollars that are going into real estate development, going to business development, going into the economy as a whole. Okay. And you see like these little these little pockets of capital throughout the nation. Right. Okay. Whereas in Ghana, you don't see nearly as much capital flowing into the country. Okay. So what ends up happening is because there's not as much capital flowing in, like, there's not that much capital created and you don't see a lot of like formation of businesses, a lot of formation of assets, a lot of formation of real estate. Right. And things are just in general, like less developed. 
Got it. So that's like the the economic term for what I see is just like, you know, like money not being in everywhere. Basically. Got it. So basically money not being poured into certain areas of the economy, right? Like that, that exactly. would be formation of capital, like putting it into And then that money area. is used to form capital. So like buildings, like, okay. like okay. businesses, like that, that thing. Bro, I'm a huge novice. I didn't even get to take econ at Princeton because I was just like in this pre-med world. So I'm trying to learn, you know, on the fly. I'm learning right here. Yeah. So I'm going to keep a grind. I so, okay. So I'm going to ask more questions because I'm trying, I got the guy right here, yeah. the guy with the knowledge. Oh. So, bro, so I'm trying to understand the stock market more and yeah. like what is actually happening. Can you walk me through what is rising or lowering a stock's price? Like what is actually happening there? I might sound dumb. People might be listening to this. Like, what is he talking about? But I actually want to know like the nitty gritty of, isn't there like psychological perception going on of the company? That's what I'm I'm just trying to understand, Hama, because bro, you see like Elon Musk is like smoking weed on a podcast and (laughs) and then Tesla's stock drops, right? And so what is actually going on there i want to i want to hear it from you to see if i can get this if i can really yes yes you're speaking about oh man oh man okay um so and again like i'm i'm 21 years old my next road in this i'm just like i'm passionate about it so i i I know a little bit yeah but i don't want to like over overextend my my expertise still but learning let's do it with that what i will say is that it's funny in general is because i've been into this for like the past few years and it's funny that people are really into the markets now because of COVID, because of like everything else going on. So I'm getting texts from people who haven't like touched, like, don't even know anything about the markets. Like, yeah. yo, should I put like a bunch of money into like GameStop right GameStop. now? GameStop. That's, that's just gonna... like, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Let's, let's think a little bit here. Um, but so to answer your question specifically, what makes a stock price move move up and down, right? Yeah. So a stock, the way I think we should think about stocks are stocks are little slivers of ownership in a business. Right. So a stock in general, is going to be tied or should be tied theoretically to the business itself. Right. So when you own one share of Apple, you own one share of Apple as a company, you're an owner of Apple. Essentially. And, and their revenue, like you own one share of their revenue for the year or like all time revenue or you own one. Well, technically you own one share of their, technically their, their earnings are free cash flow, but you earn, you own one share of their earnings, their profits. Okay. And profits, profits. yeah, exactly. Profits. And the stock price should represent the future profits like in perpetuity, like throughout forever. Right. right? Um, so if I give you $1, you know, for a hundred years, like the stock price should be a hundred dollars if you don't discount back to present value. So, okay. Right. Yeah. Now that's the long term. The problem is that we don't live in the long term. We have short term right. stuff. Short term stock price movements can be, you know, moved by by news, by bad economic results, by psychological like psychological factors, by technical factors. Right. right? So on the psychological front, right, COVID happens people are freaking out they're going to sell their stocks right because and so by selling the stock that decreases the price or yes because so the price itself technically is just like a buy it's like an auction buyer and seller market right mm-hmm. so whenever you have more sellers and buyers the price is going to go down when you have more buyers and sellers the price is going to go up that match right there so it's like walk me through it right i'm slow here. Sure. I'm, I'm learning for sure so more sellers like than buyers we're going to yep. decrease the stock price yeah so if you think about it like an equilibrium right so you have supply going like this right yeah yep. so as the price goes up suppliers are going to want to sell more right like, in terms right. Of like any business right if you own uh, an apple like a like a like a lemonade stand right yeah people are going to pay 20 bucks you're going to sell 100 you're going to sell more because yeah. your fixed cost you're going to get like right yeah so 
supplies like this, demand is like this, right? The cheaper something is, the more you want of it typically, right? Okay. It's like Jordans go from like 200 bucks to hundred bucks. Like you're going to, I'm going to buy two instead of one, right? right. Most likely, Correct. Right? Got it. So you have this like equilibrium, right? So you have this and you have this. So when supply shifts forward and demand stays the same, the equilibrium price, so price is right here. Price is mm -hmm. right here on this little axis, right? Yep. When supply shifts forward, which means more suppliers, more the suppliers. equilibrium price goes down because there's too many people willing to sell the same good, right? Yeah. So think about it mechanically. You own your lemonade stand. Someone else sets up right next to you and says, yeah. I'm going to sell for five bucks. You can't charge 20 bucks anymore. Got it. Because they're going to under, it's like undercutting the market. Exactly. exactly. Okay. Okay. So that's all it is. So more but supply, lower more sellers and buyers. Exactly. Okay. More sellers and buyers is the same thing as more supply. Yeah. So then your cost is going to go down. Your price is going to go down. Your price, your price of the stock or the lemonade in our case is stock. Okay. Exactly. And so more sellers occurs when something like COVID happens because people are scared they're, because they're worried that they're not going to get a like return on investment going forward. So they want to sell it and make the money that they've made already. Exactly. And exactly. so then the price of the stock is going to go down. Right? Exactly. And then here's the psychological part as it yeah. goes down further, right? People jump on and say, Oh, stock is tanking. I got to sell out now. Right. And that exacerbates it. And people sell and sell and sell. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so who's making these stock prices, bro? Is that, is that Apple itself? who like they open the day at a certain price and then they close at a certain price, like, or is that the average of what everybody's buying it for? Or, or just how does that precisely, work? Precisely. The second one, so, the average. The second one. Yeah. The second one. Oh. And so basically um, the way, the way it typically works is that um, stocks in general are secondary markets. So um, secondary when, markets, what does that mean? Secondary markets. So it's, it's actually a very interesting thing. So yeah. it ties into a lot of issues like, divesting and like all these different things because when apple has shares apple when they go public when they ipo they sell the shares to the public so they get a one-time cash infusion cash flow cash inflow of money people buying the shares and that's why you want to do it right you want to go public to get more money to grow your company right exactly okay but from then on out they're not the ones selling the shares so think about it like like if you go to gamestop right and you buy 2k17 you bring it home to your crib right and you sell it to one of your friends, 2K themselves doesn't get any more money from that sale. Correct. Only Correct. you do. Yeah. Right. So uh, right. the stock market itself is secondary. I mean, the company itself doesn't actually get any cash from these different trades. So they don't they don't control the stock price at all. Understood. That makes they sense. They don't really benefit that much from the stock going up besides like a lot of like secondary factors. They don't benefit from the stock going up. Because, because like, people are selling it and they're making the money. Exactly. I mean, there, there's some benefits in terms of like, manage like, a lot of like tangential stuff but like at its core theoretically they shouldn't benefit that much from the stock price going up because they're not you know right right damn and it's only the ipo where they're really getting the benefit exactly because anytime they, they, they sell shares to the public then they get money but if not they're not getting anything from it wow bro there's yeah. so much you know there's a lot of psychology in this actually and i was a psych major i'm plugging my psychology right but there's a lot of psychology in it as we mentioned and just basic economics is interesting i need to take like an online course and, and just really dive into it you know what i mean because this i find this fascinating i find it's this dope. really cool it's okay dope. it's dope and the, the biggest piece of advice i can give on the psychological uh, psychology front is just yeah. that like short term prices fluctuate a ton yeah long term they tend to like normalize 
Yeah. So when everybody is like freaking out, just like take a breath. Like, Correct. Right. Correct. The freaking out towards the downside or the upside, like either way, just take a breath. That's it. Whenever That's I see it. people getting like incredibly hyper, incredibly worried, like I'm just like, let me step back here and like right. not overthink things. And so on that front, bro, can you, I've heard, and I've, you know, I've been reading just my basic readings and stuff, annual return on stock market, or like if you hold an index fund, for example, seven to 10% annual return over time, over time, right? Like if you're holding it for decades, you know, it'd be about seven to 10%. Why is that? Why, why is it that it's seven to 10% over time? So, um, can you hear me? I think, I think I glitched for a second. I can okay. hear you. I think your video glitched for a little bit, but it's good. Good. Um, yeah. Why is that? Uh, that's one of the things I'm not, well, there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think in general, corporate earnings typically grow at that clip. So typically I'm oversimplifying things, but typically, um, the stock market should grow at the rate of corporate earnings, plus or minus a few adjustment factors. Right, right. So if Apple, you know, sells 8% more devices and they keep the costs fixed, right. the earnings are gonna go by 8%, you know, ignoring taxes and other things. That's the best, that's just basically why. Okay, and, but, yeah. but why, why are their earnings going up, right? Because it's not inflation, right? Because it's adjusted for inflation. And I know that inflation contributes to why, you know, salaries are increasing over time, but why, why are earnings just growing seven to 10%? I wonder what that answer yeah. is. Maybe you don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't I mean, that's, that's, that's a deep question. I can, I can put a few hypotheses out there, but yeah. I don't know for sure. Maybe there's like an economic PhD out there who has a better idea than I do. Yeah. But from my understanding, um, typically what happens in an index like the S&P 500, which is weighted by the biggest companies, right? Mm-hmm. So the biggest companies hold the biggest share of the index. For sure. The best and fastest growing companies, they kind of rise and the slowest ones drop. So mm-hmm. over time, you have the best companies who stay in that index. So the companies that drop below eight to five, you know, to three to 2%, they end up falling below low, low, so they drop out of the index. Right, because the membership in the index is fluctuating, right? Exactly. That's, that's another key idea, like for listeners to understand that I exactly. just learned the other day. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So that's one big part. Another big thing is interest rates that can, that can play a little bit of a factor in it. Mm-hmm. Um, simply because if, you know, to, to put it simply, let's say um, you're getting, you know, interest rates are at 5%, mm-hmm. right? Typically you're going to see um, lower stock prices as a result, mm-hmm. just because the alternative savings is more attractive now, right? If I can save and get 5%, yeah. I'm putting my money in the stock market, which is more risky. I'm getting 8%. Like I'm most likely going to save more uh-huh. and I can save and only get, you know, 1% or 0.8%. Right. I, I, I don't have any other options. I got my money in the stock market. Right. Exactly. Which drives stock prices higher and like exactly. the other factors as well. But yeah. Got it, bro. Fascinating. Um, and I know I'm trying to keep us in time here. I have so many other questions I want to ask. I, you. I have a little bit of time. Is- I'm fine. So yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever works for you. Okay. Uh, I guess. The next two questions on this topic, and then we can wrap up with just a couple more things, one or two more things. Yeah, feel free. What are your future goals in finance? Or do you have any idea? One, it's okay if you don't, totally fine. Secondly, I saw your Goldman Sachs. You're working at Goldman Sachs this summer, I think, right? Huge, congratulations. Um, It's focused on healthcare, is that true? Yes, healthcare risk thinking, yeah. Uh, I want to hear like about that. So one, your future goals. And then two, did you choose that healthcare focus, right? Because I'm I'm interested in healthcare. So I just want to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. Uh, So for, yeah. So um, 
really passionate about business. I think I want to be long-term. I want to be at a place where I can kind of impact the flow of capital. I think that's like really important to me. So whether I'm what does that mean for for the basic man? Impact where money goes. Okay. Right. So whether that's me investing in businesses and like making that decision myself, like advising businesses on that in the flow of capital, I think that's really important to me because as I mentioned earlier, the whole reason I got into this is like seeing money flow into places that it's not been before. Boom. So the more you have practice doing that, the more you can like redirect it towards like, you know, different areas. Yeah. Um, so, so far I've been like really, really blessed. Um, and I so thankful for God for this, but like I had amazing internships. I did consulting my uh, freshman summer, my sophomore summer, at really dope firm that I've led the love. Um, so that, that, that was pretty sick. Um, and then now this summer, I'm going to go work at, at GS um, doing investment banking to get like a more financial kind of feel of things. Mm-hmm. Um, long-term, I'm not entirely sure yeah. like where I'm going to be and how I'm going to affect the flow of capital, the flow of, of money um but i think if i'm at a place where i'm consistently learning i'm consistently getting better and getting sharper mm-hmm. and like just like imp- always improving like that's one of the big things for me always improving mm-hmm. um and thirdly a place where i can like literally have like a like a legit impact on like businesses on economies on society mm-hmm. that's a really cool place for me so that can take a lot of different forms i don't know yeah um, I think at heart, I'm an investor and we'll see like where that takes me. Um, but that's, that's the first part of the question. The second part around GS healthcare, mm-hmm. um, it's very sick. So I did healthcare my last summer when I was in consulting. So okay. I worked for, uh, my client was in the healthcare field. Um, so that kind of like piqued my interest. And when I interviewed for GS, um, they drew like, Hey, like, what do you think about the healthcare group and i was like yeah sounds cool yeah um it's funny because i never wanted to be pre-med i saw my mom going through the whole grind i was like could not be me <laughs> i understand why <laughs> could not be me and i wasn't like amazing at like chemistry or bio or anything like that so right, i was like right, right. probably not for me and now to find myself like kind of angling back into the healthcare field is, is pretty fun yeah so. bro keep me updated on what you learned there because my mom was my mom right she's a doctor she was always saying don't go into medicine, like go into, if you like healthcare, go into some sort of like healthcare consulting or healthcare business. So maybe I'll live vicariously through you and learn some, learn some lessons there, bro. So super dope. I love the motivation for going into finance, bro. Um, and now sort of at our end here, just asking a little bit about Andrew outside of, you know, the classroom, outside of business. Um, my listeners know you're a big basketball guy. So we have that in common. Um, but one, I saw you speak Chinese. Can you uh, explain yeah. that? That's unreal. Very cool. <laughs> um, and then two, just sort of what are the things that you like to do outside of all these other pursuits? You're obviously a very talented guy, but any other, you know, hobbies or interests or just things you do for fun? Love to hear about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. First on, on China, Mandarin Chinese, yeah. I got to Princeton and I, I took Spanish in high school. And I was like, I was like decent at it, but it was like high school language. So you don't learn that much to be honest. Class. Um, yeah, class. Yeah. <laughs> so I get to Princeton. I'm like, okay, um, what can I learn? And I always want to learn Chinese. I think you glitched a little bit, bro. And we can oh, cut this God. out. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Always Sorry, wanted to learn so, Chinese when you got to Princeton. Yeah. So I was like, I've always thought it was an interesting language. I know it's very difficult to learn. It's one of the most difficult languages to learn. Um, ten, you know, tens of thousands of characters 
right? And it's not like English where it's like phonetic or you can kind of like sound yep. out characters. It's like pictographic basically. Yep. So it's just like characters and you have to like know what they mean or you don't know what they mean. You can't really use context clues either. You just gotta like really know. Um, so I was like, they have a billion people, right? right? They have one of the fastest growing economies in the world. It's not the fastest growing economy in the world. And I like the culture, right? I know from friends who are Chinese, it's a dope culture. Yeah. So got to Princeton, I took the class. I took it for two years at Princeton, so four semesters. Big time. Very difficult. Very hard, <laughs> dude. That's that's a huge accomplishment for people who don't know. Like I know people who take Chinese at Princeton and it's very rigorous. So yeah, <laughs> that's, appreciate go ahead. It. Sorry, I just had to, I had to plug you yeah. here. Appreciate it, appreciate it. I loved <laughs> it. Like I learned a lot because it's so rigorous at, at Princeton compared to like maybe even other languages. Yeah. Um, I've actually had like a pretty decent like understanding of the language and like how to speak it and like good tones and stuff like that. Right. So eventually I want to also work in China for like maybe a little bit. Um, but obviously like life is long and things happen. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. Dude, unreal. I know uh, my girlfriend, Sarah is Chinese. And so I was at, I was with her parents this summer and for a couple of months, just, they were trying to explain to me the language. I was like, dude, what is this? Like it's so hard. There's, yeah. there's five different tones and it's just, yeah. it's really cool. And I wish I had a talent for languages. I don't know if this is a narrative that's in my head that I don't have it because I was just like not great at French. Like I learned French for like high school and Princeton, just like not very good at it. But bro, I want to give Chinese a shot. You're inspiring me here. Maybe learn a little bit of that because like you said, it's probably one of the, you know, one of the most useful languages to learn, especially in business, right? Yeah. And even just like learning. And one thing it was well for me was that like, I like learning a lot and also like challenging myself. I knew for a fact that like Chinese is probably the hardest language I could have taken. And that like, if I was like, people always go, oh, why don't you just take it out of Princeton and just like learn it by the side. Like the language like Chinese, there's there's very little chance you're gonna like force yourself to learn it. Yeah. I was putting in like 10 hours a week during the semester of like learning mm -hmm. Chinese. Like you're not gonna do that after work. It's just like very unlikely. Right? <laughs> Definitely not. I could, I could confirm. Unless you like, yeah. <laughs> Unless you have like a, like, a, like a reason for it, right? Unless you have like yeah. a family or like a girlfriend or something where it's like, okay, I see a reason why. For me, I had nothing. So I was like, there's no way I'm gonna like do this myself. Right. So. It, it even like, impacted the way I thought about like math because I was just, like so used to memorizing characters and things. Like I think like maybe I'm just like gassing it, but no, no. I did think like I was able to grasp like really weird or really like foreign concepts like a little bit faster because I was always putting myself in these uncomfortable positions like learning Chinese where like I knew nothing about the characters, nothing wow. about the language. Right. I think in general, the more you put yourself in these like weird situations, the faster you can learn and like. That's been pretty fun. So Bro, I don't think you're guessing it at all. I, you know, I don't obviously know the research on this too well, but I'm sure there's some sort of crosstalk between learning a language and just your cognitive cognitive capacities and doing other skills, right? It's it's basically like anything in life. I you know, I was a psych and neuro major and I was all about like experiential effect on your brain and what any experience does. I studied like running and how that affects mm -hmm. your brain, bro. But like if you're learning a language or, you know, a musical instrument or anything else, that's only going to help like your math or, or any other sort of thing. And, and I just, I don't think you're guessing it at all. That's very, very interesting. Yeah. And real quick, even just double down, like I read a report, like my sophomore year about this. Yeah. Apparently if you teach Mandarin Chinese to a four-year-old American kid, mm -hmm. um, their math and like their math and reasoning skills, like go up comparatively to like a kid who only speaks like, English or English plus another like a uh, romantic language or like Germanic wow. language. So something about like a ton of characters, a ton of memorization that like makes it really applicable to like STEM. 
maybe the paper is like disputed, but I've seen a lot of papers backing that paper up as well. So mm. pretty interesting. So what do you think it is about the characters that translates to the math? Do you know? You said memorizing, but memorize so much memorization. Okay. And just like a lot of attention to like detail because the characters are pretty like they're not if you write in, in simplified Chinese they're not crazy but they're still pretty detailed and pretty like specific okay so you have to like learn all these different angles and these different lines and like how to like so it's just got very like mentally intensive language to learn mm-hmm. I'm sure English is as well but but I kind of know because I spoke it growing up yeah <laughs> so yeah I just have my experience yeah dude fascinating learn something new every day um then lastly yeah any Anything that's bringing you joy just sort of outside of all these other factors, anything that you've been in, you know, working on over the pandemic or not the pandemic, you know, if you're just chilling, it's fine not to be productive, but just would love to hear any, anything else that you enjoy do for fun. Yeah. I think first and foremost is like faith. So always yeah. trying to get closer to God, um, mm-hmm. just like reading the Bible, just like do my devotion, Good that whole you. thing. And I'm like, even at Princeton, I've like started to take on like a little bit more leadership in those like in that capacity when it comes to like different clubs and groups. Yeah, which has been dope. Um, secondly, I just like in general, I love learning. Like I don't even like so I'm always like reading something or like reading an article or like watching a YouTube video on something random. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times it's finance. A lot of times it's not. Um, yeah. So podcasts, different things like that. Right. So I actually don't really watch. Um, really weird thing. I don't really watch TV shows that I much. I feel that. Like, I feel that. Um, but I'm always watching YouTube, whether it's like random thing that I'll never learn. I think about ever again. Mm-hmm. The fact I'm learning it, it seems pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I do that a lot. Uh, always hooping. Always, always got to be hooping. Yes, always got to be hooping. So let's watch in my Miami Heat. Yep. There you go. Um, did, I, did I glitch? You're back. You're back. No problem. Yeah. yeah. So whether it's watching my Miami Heat play basketball yes, or, sir. you know, like playing basketball myself. Um, that's big to me and also working out like very, very into, into fitness. So I love it, dude. Last question. What podcasts are you enjoying? Cause I want to check them out. I'm a fan obviously oh. of podcasts cause I'm doing one right now, but, um, yes, yeah, yes, any, sir. any recs there, dude? A ton, a ton. So many, let me pull up my, I have like a, yeah, I, I feel like an old head when I like to listen to podcasts all the time, but <laughs> they're, amazing. they're amazing. Bro, it's confirmed an old head thing. I think you're ahead of the curve. I started getting into it more once I graduated college. Like it's just an old head experience. Just the it podcast. is. It's amazing though. It's amazing. <laughs> it is good. I highly recommend listening to podcasts for anyone here. Any podcast. I think just yes, listen sir. to the podcast. Expand Martino the mind. Listen to his podcast. Exactly. Hey, plug the podcast. Yes, sir. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it depends. There's one, for example, BBC in our time. They have a bunch of different ones. Okay. There's BBC in our time philosophy. That Ooh. one's really good. They go like through a bunch of like philosophical questions and like theories and write it cool. down. Yep, yep. Um, Freakonomics Radio. I'm on it. I'm on it. Very, Heard very great good. things Very about that. Amazing. Um, then there are a few other ones that like are, are a bit rogue. Like the Dave Ramsey show is amazing for personal finance. Mm-hmm. It's a good show. Yep. Um, there's also like a, a random one I listen to. I listen to J- Jocko Willink. He's like a former Navy SEAL. He's a podcast. Bro, yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. <laughs> Bro, we're on the same wavelength. I've heard he's awesome. I've watched a couple of his stuff. Fire, fire. And the last one I'll give you, I have like so many. The last one I'll give you, this one's a basketball podcast. Yep. Um, it is, let me just find it real quick. They just changed the name recently, so I'm trying to make sure it's the right one. Yeah, yeah no it's problem. the mismatch. Mismatch. So it's like a ringer podcast. It's talking about basketball all the time. It's fire. Fire, dude! Another great basketball podcast, JJ Reddick Pod. 
Oh, and he sells, yeah. Bro, he, he gets everybody on there and you hear the craziest stories of the really? league, dude. Yes. Highly recommend. Highly What's recommend. it called? It's literally called, I think, the JJ Reddick podcast with, with his friend Tommy Bear or something. Something like okay. that. Um, but if you type in his podcast, it'll come up. Oh, it's on the YouTube. old man and the three. The old man and the three. Yeah, that's the new the new name. Okay. Give Fire. it a listen, bro. You got some great guests on there. I need him to get Brown on there because I was saying yeah. so I need Brown on there ASAP. But for sure, for sure, brother, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking your time. You know, in the midst of a busy yeah. Princeton schedule and just everything going on. Best of luck with everything, dude. And I really appreciate it, bro. Obviously, reach out to me whenever you need. Always here for you, dog. Anytime. It's good to catch up. Yes, sir. All right.